0: Fresh
1: Air Production. Hi, and welcome to the new series of Fresh Ears. I'm Neil Cowling, the founder of Fresh Air Production, and we're the leading producers of podcasts for brands in the UK. In each episode of this series, we dissect a podcast that we've created for a brand. We sit down with the producer and the client to talk about things like why they wanted a podcast in the first place, how we decided on the format, how it all came together, and ultimately, how it was judged to be a success. Our recent episode also discussed our new partnership with Pacific Content to create a global centre for branded podcasts. Please do listen back to that for fascinating insights from the world's leading expert in this field. I'm talking about Steve Pratt from Pacific rather than me. We've had episodes with corporations large and small, but this time our client is one of the world's best-known and best-loved NGOs, WWF. Their podcast is called Call of the Wild, aimed at a young audience spread over 12 parts and hosted by actor, presenter and activist Kel Spellman that's without even mentioning our first guest who was a bit of a catch As someone who has really led us up to this point um, I would really love to hear kind of any top tips you'd have to impart to our listeners and to young people on what they can do to, to turn things around and, and make that change well, one of the simplest things that you should do if you get the chance, when you get the chance, is just actually to stop. Sit down. Don't move.
2: Keep quiet. Wait. Ten minutes. You'll be very surprised if something pretty interesting didn't happen
1: within 10 minutes. doing that in a woodland. If you haven't done it, it's extraordinary. So why would WWF look to create a podcast to reach young audiences? And how did we go about it? Joining me to talk about this is Greg Armfield, senior producer at WWF UK, and Izzy Clark, our brilliant senior producer here at Fresh Air. Also working on the podcast were Georgia Mills and Martin Points Roberts. So, Greg, let's start off from the client's point of view then. Why did you decide to make a podcast? Why was that the right choice of a piece of content for WWF? Good question. Um, I
0: think WWF typically is always looking for new ways to engage our audience. We typically lose touch with a younger audience. WWF is known around the world, but typically we engage a very young audience. We have a kind of a school ambassador scheme that we touch those kind of five, six year olds up to kind of 12, 13 year olds. But then after that kind of age, we lose typically lose touch with those 16-year-olds up to kind of the 20-year-olds kind of age. So our director wanted us to kind of look at new ways of uh, engaging these people. Um, We set up a little content innovation group, and out of that came the idea of a podcast. WWF, I think, I believe, across the network, um, obviously we're WWF UK, but we work across the network. Um, We haven't done a podcast at all across the network so this was kind of something very new for us so it really was a kind of uh, a new thing we had no idea what we were doing um but that was the reason we kind of entered into the podcast world was to see what we could do to see if we could engage a kind of new audience that typically won't engage with WWF.
1: And that's what we're for uh, you know it's pretty much every single client that we work with starts by saying we've never made a podcast because it's a new medium and you know we're here to hold your hand. so that's what we've been doing now for one, certainly 18 months. What were the objectives? So we know who we want to aim at. What did you want them to think or do or feel differently as a result of hearing the podcast?
0: I think typically, if we look at the kind of social media landscape, it's all about views. It's all about numbers, huge numbers, that success. I think we came at the podcast in a different way. It was a kind of our own baby. It was something separate from the social media world that we typically work in, the Instagrams, the YouTubes, the Twitters, where it's all about huge numbers. And I think what we were looking for was more about engagement. It was about actually holding someone's attention for a set period of time. Um, If you think about YouTube or Twitter or Instagram, the content we produce there is getting less and less in terms of time. So we're we're down to six seconds now. When I started, it was three minutes. That was quite a long film. We're down to six seconds now, and I'm really struggling with that side of things. So going into the podcast world was a complete reverse. And actually, we had time there to engage our audience. So it was about attracting a new audience, but also keeping them engaged. So okay, it wasn't about the amount of listeners we got. It was more about the engagement we got. So I think the kind of the two key things for us were one, to create create an engaged audience and two, to create action from that. So it was about kind of engaging and talking people through what they can do to kind of change their their world, their
1: approach to kind of how they live their lives. And Izzy, from a producer's point of view, I know you in particular, this was a bit of a dream project, wasn't it? And dream client
2: oh yeah no absolutely when the brief came through I was like I want to make this podcast please can we make this happen we need to get this um it it goes back to what we were saying about that that audiences when I set out as a producer I have a background in science but I really wanted to make programs that reach that younger audience because I think that's where you know like Ray, broadcast radio doesn't quite reach that in terms of factual content so yeah safe to say i was very excited when it all <laughs> dropped into our inboxes
1: i think um it, it's something going back to the episode that we recently did with pacific content about our outlook to creating podcasts and theirs this idea that you're we are working for brands our clients are brands but actually, in order to create something that's successful, you have to create something that the audience is going to love to listen to. So let's talk about how that fed into the format, because we we talked about what you want to achieve, Greg, and we talked about the audience. And that's always our starting point. Our first meeting, really, is always, what are your objectives? What does success look like? And that then feeds into the format. So, Izzy, could you just kind of summarise the format that we ended up with? Because it is actually... Deceptively complicated, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. There's lots of moving parts um, but that was intentional because again, for this audience, we wanted to keep it punchy, pacey, you know, bring them along for the whole thing. so um, we start off with an introduction from our presenter, Kel, just to give a brief idea of what the episode's about. Um, But because this is factual content, there were going to be some terms that we knew our listeners might not understand or there's a bit of scientific background to it. So we created something called an explainer, which is maybe a two minute piece that explains something quite cool. So one that springs to mind is what is the Paris climate agreement? So we have our, our explainer and then we move on to an interview with one of the experts from WWF that gets us sort of more into the science what are the problems what are the solutions what are WWF working towards to to help in that realm and then after that we really wanted to amplify the voices of those that are living through a changing world so for example speaking to someone in the in Borneo, uh, who's been impacted by palm oil rainforest uh, and deforestation, and so after that, after the insight piece, we then get to a celebrity interview, and I think that was something that was really exciting about working with WWF UK was that the fact that they had access to some brilliant artists and influencers that we could speak to and quite ha- and have quite honest conversations about where they fit into the climate space, you know, changes that they're trying to make. And it basically holding our hands up to say, look, I don't have this perfectly. I don't have to be perfect, but I'm trying to make some positive change. With all of that, I was kept very busy (laughs) and making sure that you can squeeze all of that into about 25, 30 minutes.
1: During lockdown. Yeah, during lockdown. Yeah, just to make it a little (laughs) bit more tricky for you. It's funny because, you know, we referenced Radio 1 quite a lot in terms mm. of our approach partly just because you know there, there are there are very few other audio reference points for young people's programming and and that's very punchy it's very uh, you know i know from having worked there that you know you can't have a message that's longer than 20 seconds again going back to greg's point about short attention spans but It also feeds into the production technique, doesn't it? And the sound effects, the use of music, the sound design. So what did you as a producer do differently for this audience in that sense than you would for an older audience?
2: Um, We knew going into this that we wanted to have really quite vibrant, uh, quite a vibrant sound. We wanted it to be pacey, upbeat. So we worked to find... An intro an outro that did just that again with the explainer that was really heavily using sound effects um to bring the listener along for example, when we in our food episode, we talked about you know what is palm oil, where does it come from so We took the listener as if they were, you know, opening up all of their cupboards in their kitchen, trying to find palm oil in their everyday objects. So whether that's a toaster popping up or unscrewing a peanut butter jar, like things like that, just to bring it to life. And then when we got into that format with lots of moving parts, that's where you hear the more upbeat, pacey music, um, just to move everything along and keep Uh, this audience engaged because as we said attention spans can be a bit shorter so the help of music really moves that along.
1: Greg Izzy mentioned Kel just now and we've not talked about Kel yet he's our presenter for those who don't know Kel Spellman is he's an actor he's in Cold Feet he's also been a Radio One presenter he was a CBBC presenter He's also a passionate, passionate advocate for the environment. He's central to all of this, isn't he? His tone, his style, his passion comes through. What was your relationship with Kel? Why did you choose him to be the presenter for this?
0: Well, I've got something very interesting to tell you all. Kel is not the happy person we all know at 5am in the morning. (laughs) I was recently on a seagrass shoot with him. in wales where he attended one as one of the ambassadors uh, to a, a brilliant project we're doing in wales in paul klein and i saw kel at 5 a.m in the morning and he said to me for the first time ever greg this is the first time you're going to see me miserable ever <laughs> i am not a morning person but outside of that one hour where he was miserable and i was laughing in his face because i could not believe that kel spellman Has a down moment. I mean, I am
2: also Um, surprised by that as well. Yeah, it was an
0: absolute shock as I walked along the beach with him at five in the morning to see his face really miserable. I thought, what's happened? And he was like, no, just speak to my mum. She'll tell you I'm not good at this time. But it was great to see that because it kind of leads on to why we chose Kel. Because for the 23 hours outside of that one hour at five in the morning, Kel is passionate, caring. Just a wonderful human being, actually. He's fantastic. And obviously people know him from Radio 1, Cold Feet. But in terms of what he does for WWF, he's kind of one of the the people we go to all the time because he is so reliable, he's always there, and he speaks so well about the theme So he knows so much. He's educated himself around the issues. So it's not like you're having to kind of teach him or kind of put words in his mouth. He can do that for you. So he was an obvious choice for us. One, he was great at at it. Um, Two, he was available. He's always made himself available to WWF. So he was a a really obvious choice. And as you said, Neil and, and Izzy, he connects with the younger audience, but he also connects with an older audience. He connects with most people. I think It's easy to be cynical in this world and to kind of meet someone and think, oh, come on, they're just saying that. But after a while, you begin to meet Kel every time. He's the same. He's always that passionate. So he kind of fitted the bill perfectly.
2: Yeah, and he comes along with such enthusiasm for whatever Mm. recording we're going to do. And again, he is informed. He always brought his own style to any scripts or list of questions that I would send him. Um, and it's what myself and Georgia, the other producer, would call califying. We'd send him a script, he'd take a look and then add his own little twist to things um and that's what it was all about, making it a bit more personal as well. you know that's why you want to bring someone who is informed um and engaging and just really fun to be around to host a podcast like this um because it it doesn't feel like a lecture; it just feels like you're talking with friends. You're trying to find out what's the problems and sort of what are some of the good things, good changes that you can make as well. And Kel does that all brilliantly.
1: He's such the perfect benchmark for presenter and brand and podcast style. I just think with Kel, lots of brands don't have famous ambassadors. They don't have natural people who will host podcasts for them. And so we go and find people and, you know, we find the right match and they bring their own style and their own tone and their own skills to it which is great Uh, and and there's all sorts of discussions to be had around um, having famous professional hosts but when a brand has that connection with someone like Kel in the way that WWF does the additional value you're getting is just immeasurable and you know everything down to he turned up to the wash-up meeting. You know, I've never had that before and probably never will again. Have the have the presenter of the podcast turn up and sit in a meeting room for two hours with, you know, us and the marketing team and the social team and and almost kind of hear himself being critiqued. Um, I, I would encourage any brand to make best use of, of an ambassador like that. But um yeah, the 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 perfect match of, of presenter and brand and audience. I don't think I've ever come across that before. How much does he get involved in everything else that you do, Greg? And, and is, is it possible to quantify the value that, that he brings? Also, the, the, the sitting on the, the sofas, the, you know, the appearance, he went on Blue Peter for us, he went on BBC Breakfast. Is it, is it possible to sort of quantify the value that he brings in that sense?
0: Oh, I'll <laughs> no i don't think it is actually i think our media team will always kind of quantify what the amount is in terms of financial kind of publicity kel brings for us so you know during the kind of wash up meeting when we talked around the kind of pr that kel enabled us to do in kind of the bbc sofa as you said that you know there is a value there but in terms of kind of how he helps from a day-to-day perspective no it's not quantifiable you know kel is always attending events for us he's in films he presents um, yeah, he he helps endlessly. and he's a fantastic asset for wWF. And I can only reiterate what you said, Neil, that for any brand, if you've got a good ambassador who is really good at talking and kind of presenting and kind of being enthusiastic and being their natural self, it's really useful. I would thoroughly recommend using someone like that because um I think we've all become aware that on a podcast, especially, if, If you get someone who is maybe well-informed, knows their subject very well, but doesn't kind of come across that well or doesn't show that passion, it really loses something. And I think Kel has all of it. So um, we were very lucky to have him on board.
1: Reflecting just now, Izzy, as you were going through the order and the format for the piece, um, you talked about up front, you know, we talked about WWF and the work that they do and we talked about the explainers and the background and then it gets on to the celebrity interview at the end do you, was that a deliberate idea to almost kind of put the you know the vegetables first you've you you've sort of got to eat your greens and get the information out there and then you've got the celebrity interview afterwards it was that was that deliberate
2: yeah I love that analogy it's absolutely that um we wanted and we wanted people to learn from this. And so all of that had to come up front, basically, at the beginning. And then we rounded it off with the celebrity interviews, just so people would go away with as much information as possible. And I think that worked really well. Um, and then having the celebrity involvement, I also think it allows to have... M- Having the celebrities involved in the podcast, it allows them to have a longer form conversation with Kel, and it it does what social media can't do. And they're allowed to be honest to say, "Look, I'm not doing this perfectly, but here are a few things that I'm trying," and then that will hopefully inspire listeners as well. Also, Kel was always brought out the best in them as well, so it. It never felt like, you know, an interview. It just felt like a nice everyone roundtable chat, um, just talking about how to put the world to right.
1: So loads of moving parts going on, loads of, as we've said, already sort of complicated bits involving WWF workers in far off places, people who've been affected by climate change, um, celebrities where presumably the relationship rests with WWF. How are those roles split out? Um, Greg, can you explain from the brand's point of view where the responsibilities sat within your team, but also between you and us?
0: Well, obviously, we had this uh, we had a core uh, content innovation team originally, and that team was set up to to think up new ways of providing content engagement for our audience. So originally it was just myself uh, as senior producer, obvious, obvious choice. Um, And then alongside that was Ash, who works on our web team, who came up with the idea of a podcast originally. Ash, unfortunately, left. but then in his place came Jess, who looked after the social side of things. So that was kind of pushing out the um, the Instagram, the social media side of things, the promo pieces around the podcast. Then alongside Jess, we have Siobhan. She works with our ambassadors, so she was very a key a key component of this um, of this podcast. Without her, I don't think anything would have been possible. I should mention Kind, obviously, who was previously in her role. Um, Siobhan took over halfway through. Um, her role is to kind of manage those celebrities, those artists. So everything has to go through her in terms of kind of asking when they're available, what they want to talk around. Um, and that can be a massive process, as we all know. It takes a long time to get these people's attention, but also once you've got their attention to get get them on board and and actually book them in. Um, Alongside that, Jane in the content team, alongside myself is our production manager. So she looks after all the kind of budgetary side of things. So she's another key component. She looks after the admin. Definitely not my strong point. So I always love it when Jane's on board. She is key. And then sitting above that, we have our, our director of communications and our director of digital. So they kind of have overall sight of what's going on and overall sign off. But pretty much this was a unique product for WWF. As it was new, we kind of took it into the corner in the dark corner that no one knows about. And it allowed us a bit of freedom to do what we want. And now I know from Fresh air side of things, you're probably thinking, wow, sign off at WWF is a process. But I can guarantee you guys, this was nothing compared <laughs> to doing a film or anything like that. And that's rather ironic in a way that we're creating a 20, 30 minute podcast episode every two weeks or every month. And I, and I think this sign off process and the podcast process was that much smoother than creating a film. For some reason, when you create a film or create a short form piece of content, there's a thousand ears and eyes listening and watching and everyone having a comment. So having a very small knit team and keeping it that way throughout the process has been uh, been great for myself and the rest of the team. It wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And
1: how do you keep across that? The timelines must be really important. The, the planning must be really important to, to try and make sure that everything comes together.
0: I will get in there. I will just say, I I will just say, (laughs) from the planning side of things and the process side of things, I'm going to be, again, very, very thankful for Fresh Air's help. Michaela's emails at the end of every meeting to say, this is what we just talked about. And these are the actions that everyone needs to do. Here's the Excel document with the schedule of where we're at. That became incredibly crucial because, as Izzy said, this was a very complicated project. And I'm glad you're saying that, Izzy, and not myself, because I did think it was complicated. I don't know if that's typical of the podcast world. But I think because it was a modular kind of series and we had different component parts, it became very confusing and very complicated. So it was great to have Izzy and Michaela and the team working from their side to let us know what what we needed to do, what actions were required, when was sign-off required, all of those components that typically we look after. It was great to have an
1: agency looking after. So Greg, there's been a huge amount of effort obviously on your side, gone into this. I love the fact that it was just sort of you talked about people in a dark corner. We see that so often that there's a sort of small segment of a team of a wider brand who decide to make a podcast and sort of pour their heart and soul into it and and take a chance on it. And then they see it run and you see the wider sort of enthusiasm in the organization take hold because You've had this idea and you've made it successful, which is great. How did you, though, go about publicizing it? Because it's the easiest thing in the world to make a podcast and then see it disappear on iTunes. There was an enormous PR and social and promotional operation going into this. Can you just outline that for us? How did you shout about it?
0: Well, I I guess we had an agency on board, a PR agency. That was one of our first things we had on board to kind of publicize, especially the first episode. Obviously, if you get Sir David Attenborough on your first episode, you're kind of on a winner anyway. Um, But it's always good to shout even louder that you've got someone like that on board. So um, we had our uh, PR agency on board, Carver, who were fantastic. I think like yourselves, maybe they were very happy to work with WWF. It's a great brand to work alongside. It's got good recognition around the world. So they did fantastic work for us. They kind of promoted the Sir David Attenborough episode. They got Kel onto the BBC sofa. Um, outside of that, obviously, our social team, Jess Murray from our team, who was looking after that side of things. We obviously work closely with yourselves to produce the kind of um, the audio files. Audiograms? Yeah. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. God, I'm, I'm learning, Izzy. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> what is this audio thing? Um, <laughs> much more a visual. I, well, I, I am a much more a visual person. I do not mind saying that before this, this was the first touch thing I've ever done in, in podcasts, ever. I'm, I'm much more visual. Have we
1: converted uh, you, Greg.
0: Photography and film. So, um, You have converted me to a point. I do love visuals. I do love films. I do love photography. But I am definitely converted to podcast now. I think um, it's definitely a new way of engaging people. And I think it's shown amongst our organisation how much enthusiasm there has been. So not just externally promoting through our media team, through our agency, um, through our social channels, but also internally, we have kind of weekly roundups of the content we're producing. We have kind of sites that people can access so they can see what we're producing on a daily basis. And that has had really great pickup from our organisation. So we have 300 people in the organisation at the UK office. Um, We've had a massive response to the podcast. I can tell there's been a massive response. So I'm getting emails now weekly suggesting new episodes, some of them awful, (laughs) uh, some of them really good. So we have to collate those for series two. Hopefully we'll drop most of them. Um, But also from the network Uh, worldwide you know WWF operates in 100 countries we've got 5,000 staff I've had numerous emails uh, from our international colleagues who I believe have been in touch with you guys about uh, podcasts we've had contact with WWF Sweden, WWF Brazil, WWF Australia all around the podcast how they came across it how they want to do a podcast and what are the lessons to be learned so it's been a fantastic process just on that side of things so I think that's why it's worked so well for us and our director's so happy to kind of move forward to a, a second series because he can see there's a swelling of support around the organization but also wider in terms of externally so it's been great that's
1: brilliant to hear and that that internal momentum is so powerful we see it so often as you say that's that pattern of people getting in touch from across the organization saying, oh, I've got a great idea for a podcast episode, even if, as you say, they're not always great. It's brilliant to hear that that's happening. Uh, so internally, big success. When we come to the end of a podcast, we always get together with a brand. We have a wash-up session. We talk about the demographics through Spotify, the listen-through rate through iTunes. It's not as granular as you'd get from a standard sort of traditional digital campaign but it's uh, we sort of tie all the data together that we can and present it to you so Greg from your point of view what stats are most useful most powerful in justifying the investment and as you say looking towards a series two well I think when we
0: started this podcast um, one of the big things we wanted to do was engage our listeners uh, you know, as we've said before, with films, typically very short films, you're not really engaging people for that long. It's um they're not staying with you for that long. So the podcast was a real opportunity to do that. So that wash up meeting that you mentioned, it kind of became apparent that we've had over 535 days of listens there that equates to kind of 12,000 12,836 hours I believe of total time of listens and that for us is is a great stat to put in front of our chief executive to say look we've had people listening for this length of time over this many days Um, that's a great stat and as you said with podcasts it's not as we're not as possible to kind of go as granular as it is maybe with social media with some of the films we create and I think we quite like that I think it's quite old-fashioned, can I say that, Um, in terms of what access you have to what data. It means that people can't analyse it too much. We can't have our chief executive or our director saying, I want to know this, this and this. What we can give them is the big overall stats. And sometimes that's what people need to see are the big stats that kind of says to them, yep, we're getting an engaged audience here. This is what we want. We know it's going to build over time. This is the first series. Let's move on to the second series and where we go to from there. And actually, let's look long term. So where are we going to be in five years? How much are we going to improve? How much listens are we going to have then? How many days worth of listens are we going to have? So I think that for us was a kind of key element for this. It was kind of a what is our engaged audience? How long are they listening for? And as you said previously, a podcast allows you the opportunity to talk about something in depth. And WWF has a lot to say about a lot of things in depth. And films and social media don't allow us to do that. The podcast does.
1: I love that headline stat. It's something, you know, if anyone's interested in how we do it, it's really, really simple. It's the number of listens multiplied by the average listening time. And to be able to come to you and say, you've had 12,000 hours of people engaged with your brand and not just on in the background, not just browsing through their social feed, but dedicated one-to-one headphone listening with your brand for 12,000 hours. I think it's just a great stat to be able to share.
0: Just to go back to your point around celebrities as well, I think when we were, I was talking previously about external promotion. Something that we want to do more of, and and we kind of did to a point, was those celebrities who come on board with the podcast, the the ones who have been on uh, the the present series just gone, your Poppy O'Kochas, your David Lindos, your, your Birdie, Lily Coles, what we would like to see more of, and we didn't do as well as we could have done, was get them to promote as well. Because as we all know, we're attracting a new audience, but that new audience is engaged with that celebrity or that artist on the podcast. And as we know in the marketing world, if they talk and they say things and talk about what they're doing and what they recommend, our listeners will typically take action. They'll listen to those people. So if you think about that average, those days that they're listening to their favourite people online, talk to them in a very personal, engaging way, it's a fantastic device for kind of getting them to change their ways. Much more so, I think, sometimes than a film or or a phot- photographic exhibition or whatever it might be.
1: It's a real. It's an opportunity for those people to show some depth in themselves as well isn't it because it's Mm. they again they're used to very quick interactions with their audience on instagram being able to speak about something they're really passionate about for 15 20 minutes is a rare opportunity for them Mm. so we've touched on it a bit you've mentioned series two which is always obviously music to our ears apart from anything else what will you change in series two what will you do differently do you think
0: Probably work with a different agency. Um. (laughs) 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 Would we do that? Right, press stop,
1: everybody. That's it.
0: (laughs) That's a great question and something we we really need to talk about very soon. Um, Obviously, we have COP approaching soon. That's a massive thing for WWF. Everything is big at the moment for WWF in terms of COP, in terms of deforestation, in terms of illegal wildlife trade, in terms of plastic pollution. There's so many topics and so many themes. So I think that's really crucial for us to get kind of clued, uh, tied down. But also, I think we need to look at the format as it is at the present time, where the wash-up meeting was really valuable for us because it kind of made it very clear that from the celebrity artist side of things, we need to engage them more on what they want to talk about we talked around how typically if they're passionate about a particular area of food WWF can talk around that subject WWF works in so many areas it's quite easy for us to talk about a particular area that an artist or celebrity celebrity wants to talk about. So I think that would be really useful. But again, it needs to be something that a younger audience are engaged with. That's the whole purpose of this podcast is to engage a new audience, to show them that WWF isn't archaic. We aren't working just with old people. We aren't just older supporters. We're actually trying to engage everyone because everyone is vital for our work, but also for the wider world. So it's, um yeah. It's a lot of decisions to be made for series two. And I'm sure we'll be engaging you very soon to
1: make those decisions because we'll need help. (laughs) So just to sum up then, Izzy and Greg, any tips for someone who's looking at targeting this audience in particular, the kind of younger audience, someone who's looking to do the same? What tips would you give them? Let's start with Izzy.
2: So I think. Energy is certainly something that needs to be brought into it. High energy. But someone that... Have a presenter that is going to talk to your audience honestly and not in any sort of patronising tone. That's not what we're here for. And I don't think your listeners will stay with you if that's how you approach it either. Um, And just keeping it relevant to them. Um, Yeah, I would say those are sort of my main three.
0: Well, ditto, I think... Izzy's said it perfectly well. I think it's about having a presenter who engages with that audience. So Kel was perfect for us. He was, you don't have to be the same age. Of course you don't. But I think it really helps um, to kind of be on that level and to understand them and definitely not to patronize them. Um, Kel was perfect for that. He talked at their level. They could tell he was passionate, engaged. And I think that's key. Outside of that, just be prepared to be flexible i think that's a real key uh, key thing for us that typically wwf isn't that flexible um but we learned that we had to be in this in this process so that was a really kind of key element for us and also can i just add right at the beginning of this podcast when our director came to us and said let's do a podcast he said hey why don't we just do it in-house we can do this ourselves we've got a little studio we can do it do not do it yourself do not try and make a podcast yourself and record off your iphone it will not work Uh, it's been an amazingly complicated process and I fear to think what would have happened if it had just been me and a couple of other people in a studio doing it. It
1: would never have happened. Brilliant. Thank you both very much. It's been brilliant to go through that. It's been a joy to work on. Um, WWF really have provided a masterclass, I think, in how to create informative, entertaining, motivating audio content for young people. And yeah, we very much hope to continue working with you for a long time. So thank you to Greg Arnfield, Senior Producer at WWF UK, and Izzy Clark, our Senior Producer here at Fresh Air. If you'd like to find out how you can create great podcasts for your brand or business, you can find us at freshairproduction.co.uk. And in the meantime, I'm Neil Cowling. Thank you very much for listening. Fresh Air.